Wait, is 30 degrees included in this? Uh, potentially. I guess we can mention it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's still on the company's house. <laughs> and how Aaron's paid a fine for it multiple times. <laughs> oh, God. That, that's going to be the once, I have once. Okay, three, two, one. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of The Third Wheel. I'm Aaron, one of your hosts. And I'm your other host, Hamish. <laughs> today we're joined by today we're joined by Ed Eduardo Bark. How how you doing, Ed? I'm all right. I'm all right. And you guys? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Uh, do you want to tell tell us a bit about yourself? Uh, well, I'm uh, I'm Franco Italian, born in Paris but raised in Luxembourg in a beautiful European school of Luxembourg, and then ended up studying uh, to study physics, mathematics, and physics at the University of Warwick, where I met these two lovely gentlemen. Uh, and from there, I went to applied mathematics. So I was at work and ended up in Paris as a data scientist. And now I have been uh, working on my startup for the past few months. So that's that's a pretty good basic summary, I think. Yeah, I guess uh, we can rewind it all the way back to when we first met. Do you uh, do you remember that, or me and you in a way? Yeah, I mean, we were in the same kitchen. Right. Uh, even though, yeah. <laughs> even though I was closer to, I was like the first room of the corridor. So there was a kitchen which was literally two meters away from my door, and there was one that was at the very end of the corridor. And for the first full day, like the Saturday that we arrived, I thought that the kitchen right next to me was my kitchen. I turned out I was at the other one. But the thing is, the first like day. At uni, I think you can agree, is very important on the campus because you really get to meet and everyone is... Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Is That's your, like, friendship group, like, yeah. straight away kind of thing. Um, so I ended up then later uh, finding out it was the wrong kitchen, going to the other kitchen, to my rightful kitchen, and that's where Aaron was. So that's, you know, Aaron was my, my kitchen mate, even though... <laughs> How did you find kitchen. out that it's not your kitchen? <laughs> Well, basically, that's the the interesting part is because my key couldn't open the door. And so at night, uh, you know, I was locked out of the kitchen uh, because, you know, after eight or some, I don't know, at any time it would just automatically lock. So I just tried to beep in and it wouldn't work. So then we went to ask the supervisor, blah, 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 blah. One thing led to another. It was like, oh, no, but you're not in that kitchen, in the other one. But doesn't, <laughs> doesn't the kitchen have a number on it? So if you're in flat 13 and you're accessing, for example, flat 14's kitchen, doesn't it say kitchen 14 or something? I don't recall if there was a number. I think there might have just been kitchen written on it. I don't remember. This is this is top talent at Warwick. <laughs> <laughs> First class degree we found out. Yeah, guys. <laughs> And I remember you also telling me that when you first met me, you thought I was some kid who got like placed some years above yeah. at school or something. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> I, I do not remember saying that, but I can definitely relate because I remember Aaron's face when he got into university um, looked like a, a kid, honestly. <laughs> like I guess he looked like 15, maybe something like that. 15, 16. Um, no beard. Glasses like the the nerd glasses a bit. <laughs> I think you used to have like the more nerdy one. I, uh, I'm not sure if that's yeah. It was definitely more like nerdy at the time, but there's still. I guess it's more like fashion now. Yeah, now it? it's more. Yeah, I guess uh, now it's like hipster. At the time, it was just yeah, yeah, nerd. So yeah, no more about you two. I'm pretty sure it's through you somehow, but I don't know yeah. when and when and where how it happened. 
Yeah. Probably maybe no second idea. or third year. Was it 30 degrees? No, no I guess we're getting that. into that. It was before that. I just don't know when. I don't know what. Was he doing a comp sign module and then we just met via you? Like, I don't know. Actually, did you do introduction oh, to um, AI in second year? Yeah. It might have been actually, yeah, it was a comp sci, yeah, yes. comp sci module. That's one of my more famous coursework. So. The one with the tanks. What do you mean more famous yeah. coursework? <laughs> it's so good, it's so good. Um, okay, yeah. So we haven't actually seen each other since uni, have we? Ooh. I don't think I, so. I think I don't. saw Ed last because we were doing the postgrad one year long thing. So I saw him near the end of that one year. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I have no idea. I think that's about it. So I think I've seen it more recently than you, but that's only by like a couple of months. Like that's not nothing like yeah. Unless so uh, well, I, I was away, wasn't I? So what have you been doing like since uni? The first thing. So first, I did the one year master's degree at Warwick still in applied mathematics. Uh, but then the first like thing I did actually after uni was um, well, first of all, looking for a job, and then finding a job in Paris uh, as data scientist. And that was, you know, there's a lot to say about uh, about the current state of what data science, machine learning, <clears throat> reinforcement learning, AI, all these things that like people tend to put together. And then you have all the engineer version, you know, you have like machine learning engineer, you have um, data engineer, you even have data analyst, and people get very confused. And I think it's a mm-hmm. fair problem. And that's something that happened to me because I got in this company. Uh, the role was data scientist. And to me, data scientist means some things which they did not really agree with. So my job ended up being very much what could be called a uh, cost. I think it's called a customer engineer. Uh, that's like the more, uh, the, the more common version. So it's very much like a consultant for a client in a way. Um, and I was pretty much doing consulting in this uh, fraud detection startup uh, for a specific mm-hmm. Italian client mostly. I also developed some projects on the side, like uh, license plate detection, but most of it was um, was this consultant-ish work. It was quite bizarre, and it wasn't data science at all. And where was that, in Paris? Yeah, that was in Paris, yeah. Um, Ed, I, re- I don't remember if you talked, I think you told me like a long time ago. I don't know when it was. I thought you had like a job in Hong Kong or something. No, I've never. At some point. He he, t- he mentioned this to me and I was like, wait, what? I thought he told me Hong this. Kong. And I was like fairly confident that he said, um, it was either that or Tokyo. I don't remember which one it was. No, either it was had... Tokyo. Uh, wait. Yeah. yeah um... See, I have all the yeah, Chinese I... shit, Aaron. I told you, fam. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought you were Chinese. Actually, it's not going to lie. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Yeah, it was Tokyo. Yeah, I applied to Google in Tokyo and got somewhat far in the application. And I got a bit, you know, pumped up. And I guess it was at the same time that I was talking to you. So it came out. (laughs) Uh, Ended up not happening. But but yeah, you know, you get pumped up. You have to believe in your dreams, you know. (laughs) I believe. But hey, we spend all that time thinking you work for Google. (laughs) Yeah, I think, wait, was it? No, it was Microsoft. Sorry, it was Microsoft, not Google. But I mean, same difference in a way. Uh, but... Jeez. <laughs> right, fair enough. Um, I guess that's the same thing that they say about data science and whatever you were doing consulting, right? Oh, man, that was so bad. <laughs> uh, same thing, Google and Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> I guess to some people, it will, it will hurt the same. What, what was so bad about it? 
when you think data science, first of all, the, the, the important thing is that there is a word science in it, right? Science is not just a random heap word that you can put at everything. Science is a process. Something that is called scientific is something that follows a process. So the, the most basic pathline for something that you can call science is um, you make an hypothesis, which you can experiment on, and then you test it out, and you test it completely up until you decide whether, oh, all the experiments confirm this hypothesis, therefore I make it a theory, right? And in fact, you know, there is this sentence which is commonly misused, is um, uh, the exception uh, the exception to the rule, something like that. Okay. okay. And basically this expression is, is, it's a common misconception that people use it to say like, oh, you know, I'm the exception to the rule. But really, what what the scientist the scientist who said that meant is is you have to test the exception to test the rule, right? So if your hypothesis does not uh, does not work in the most extreme cases you can think of, then it's not scientific. It's not you cannot validate that that, that hypothesis, right? So um, I'll, I'll just give you an example. If I make a an hypothesis about some process that happens with temperature, you know, and I say, oh, it's linear. But then to make sure that that hypothesis is true, I would have to test it to the lowest possible temperature I can get and the highest. And if it still stands at those two extremes, and it stands uh, obviously for all the spectrum in the middle, then you can say, oh, that is a rule. And so that's to say what science is. Science is a very specific process and data science should be a process in the same um, in the same way, just backed by data so you know you should like look at data maybe find an hypothesis go like oh you know i've, I've noticed that uh, these customers like people who follow this kind of category they tend to also follow this and you make an hypothesis and and then you test it out point is that data science is science and consultant work is not science it's just like you know client telling you oh we need We'd like to to find a way. It was even it was even worse than that. Really, it was really like oh, we're having a problem. With- yeah, they'd like to. I think what you're trying to go along the lines is they try to find a trend between this and that. So can you go check if there's a trend yeah. or any factors that are like bothering this thing happening, like the it's, amount of sales I'm having. It's it's even worse than that in the sense that it's even more simple. You know, you're not even saying oh, there's a trend, there's a correlation between two events. You're just saying. Yeah, you know, I've noticed in a few examples that I've just gotten on my desk that this happens. And then they want you to create uh, a history around it. They want you to, 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 to say, yes, it is true. Uh, and they want you to create like the tool so that the tool is, will automatically find out whether those cases are fraud or not. The fact is they're just like kind of pushing their, their, their story on it. They're pushing their experience, which is fine to a certain level. But the problem is they have zero understanding of statistics. They're just like basically, uh, you know, just people in people handling claims, and so they don't really understand exceptions. They don't understand that it's it's, it's hard to explain. It's really something that happens when the client is is too far away from from statistical significance. And is just making these random assumptions that you are throwing them and telling you can you add that that can you add that can you add that. It's not a great job. It wasn't a great job. I really don't like it. Your title was data scientist, though, right? Yeah, the title was data scientist. Yeah, absolutely. the The job wasn't data scientist, but the the role I was given officially <laughs> was data science. Yeah, so I've seen it a lot as well. Like people 
they'll use the same job title, that exact job title, but what they mean is that, oh no, you're just going to be using Tableau to look at the data, like trends, and like, that's not a data scientist. Yeah, yeah. People like using, like, what's, I don't know what you call it. You know when there's keywords, like the big impact words, whatever. I don't know, what, I forgot what you call Buzzword. it. Yeah, buzzwords. Like, people like using buzzwords, but they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. I've seen it quite a lot in the field. Yeah, it's it's very common, and it's quite insulting, because at some point, to tell you how simple the job was in a way, uh, I actually said to my boss about three months in, uh, you do realize I could have done this job uh, coming out of, of school, not university, school. Like I could have done what I was doing at 18, no questions asked. Because it was so basic. It wasn't, it wasn't even research. We didn't do pretty much any real statistical analysis. It was very just hunches and we had to implement hunches and they made no sense. We could even test them out because it wasn't an hypothesis. It was just like a random occurrence that they wanted to put in the in the software. Uh, it's it's very like it's very dependent on this company and this software. So this is why I don't want to go into detail about what exactly I mean because uh, I would have to explain how the company works and how the backend works and everything. But the idea is just that they wanted you to implement special cases for everything in a simple in a few words. And it was very annoying. It was very annoying. But uh, how long were you there for? One year, like pretty much. And I'm guessing that's like the reason why you left then as well. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't satisfied. I felt like you know you do, you have a, you do a, a first a bachelor, then a master's in applied mathematics, and you end up doing silly, silly work. It's it's yeah, it wasn't it wasn't my thing, right? So, uh, and after that, I just I just kind of blew off steam and went to uh, to surf for a month in the Canary Islands. So like <laughs> the whole month of October, November of uh, 2019, I was in the Canary Island just surfing and living off the, the money I made uh, uh, during that, that year of work. So, uh, you know, it was, it was good, good experience. Even though it was bad, it was a good learning experience, if you want, about how things work, how a startup works. Um, and it, it still was a good, a good first job. You know? And my team was great. Like, the job was bad, but the people were cool and they knew the job was bad like it was sort of like they were all stuck the same way as i was and were just going day day to day and how uh how big was the company like person wise so um so it was a very like the, the company is a startup from founded in 2014 so it's really it's really quite young when i got there it was in full expansion mode like blowing up so i got there as like the hundred 30th employee something like that but when i left we're already past 220 maybe 230 i, I don't even know like okay that's, that's pretty big it was it was basically doubling every year uh, at that point oh, that's pretty good yeah yeah, yeah. No, as, a, as a company they were, they were doing pretty good and then when you went you decided to just do surfing were yeah. you working at the same time as well no no i just it, it, i just quit all type of work i didn't think about the future i uh, I basically had had enough money not to worry. It's as simple as that. So yeah. I, you know, I, I put like a reserve. I said like when I come back, like I don't want to spend more than this amount uh, during my holiday. I spent a lot less in the end, so it was it was fine also that, in that sense. And I just I just went and abandoned everything. And you know, I had like a, a safety in the sense that when I came back, even if I didn't find a job immediately, I could still survive. Right? Well, it wasn't like you know just 
a bit to survive. It was like I could have survived uh, several months without money at that point. So without income. So it was just a way to, you know, blow off steam and kind of just rethink maybe, you know, career and what you really want to do and and even just do our, uh, it was also a solo trip, my first solo trip. Okay, yeah, that's, that was my next question. Yeah, it was complete solo. I, I didn't organize anything really. I just knew I would go to this city, uh, Coralejo, which is basically the, the second biggest city, but the main in terms of like life and, and surf life and stuff. It was just, it was a good experience. It was, uh, it was really fun. Yeah, and then I guess does that now bring you to where you are now? I mean, it, I ended up, you know, you, you go into these trips and you think they're gonna change the way you you think about life, or you know, that you're gonna have some great illumination. It didn't happen. It didn't really change much. I just I just ended up enjoying myself. I didn't think about work. I didn't think about anything. I, I I brought three books that I thought I would read. I ended up only reading uh, one. Uh, you know, just that's the kind of things that happen. You think you're gonna have some great illumination. You just end up yeah, enjoying yeah, yeah. life at the, at at a very physical and superficial level. Uh, you know, you just surf and you meet people and you go to parties and it's fun. And but there's nothing more to it. So once you come back, you're like, all right, now I came back. Now I have to to decide what I'm actually gonna do. So I tried to do freelancing for a bit, but I ended up in january so i come back around november mid-november and i'm um, talking about you came back november 2019 yeah 2019 from uh yeah. from this one month long holiday and mm-hmm. i they said i would i would freelance so that was in my head so i started like you know creating the the processes applying for uh at the government because in front i mean i guess this is in the uk i'm not sure but you can't just become a freelancer you have to tell the government i'm becoming a freelancer yeah, yeah. and i did all the thing like uh, but in mid-january i got if you wish entangled in a situation with a company so this is this where it comes to the startup i'm currently at so what happens is that there is this program uh, it's a very interesting program it's called um, entrepreneur first you might have okay yeah i i was uh yeah i was thinking of applying to that a uh, couple of months ago, yeah, um, uh, one well, you could. one of my housemates from America applied for Entrepreneur First, got into Entrepreneurs First when he left America, and then a guy who I actually work with now was working for Entrepreneurs First, like the actual oh, it was organization. For, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, like a while back. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's something I've looked at. Yeah, well, I I I knew about it. Uh, they came to work to do a presentation and other stuff. So I knew about okay. the existence and some, some, somewhat how it worked and all. But I didn't actually do the program. I just knew someone who was in the program, who knew who partnered up with someone else. Yeah. Right. So person A, which is my friend, uh, partners up with person B. Then person yep. A leaves person B. But person B wants to oh, keep me. Okay. Yeah, they 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 had a divergent idea, so they just it fell apart. But the project didn't, right? The the other person, which is now my co-founder, uh, really liked the idea and he pitched it. And uh, so EF Entrepreneur First gave him the the seed uh, pre-seed investment. They're like, okay, we validate yeah. your idea. Uh, and I joined about yeah, just after that actually. I joined just after that, and we decided up we decided to 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 partner up so first i worked for like a month and a half like just working and we're discussing what would be my role and all and at the end we agreed you know just 
I'd become a co-founder. So that's what I've been doing for the past, I mean, it's April now. Wait, is it April? Yeah, it's April. So the past four months, basically, I've been working yeah. on the, on that company. Uh, so although I didn't do EF, I'm, I'm sort of part of EF. It's a, it's a bit of a weird situation. Uh, yeah. But... Hamish, have you heard of Entrepreneurs First? Nope. <laughs> so my understanding, Ed, if I've got this wrong, you can yeah, go on, go yeah, on. change what I say. Um, it's like an you organization that... Um, you can, you can apply, you, you can apply for it and you don't have to have an idea, but it helps if you have an idea, you don't have to have a technical background, but it helps probably to have a technical background. And then yeah. they kind of pay you to come up with an idea, find a co-founder and then produce this kind of startup and they, they pay you at the beginning. And then at the end, if they do like your idea, then they give you like funding money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and then it kind of goes on from there and then entrepreneurs first is kind of like a program which gives you like a lot of resources and yeah stuff i mean like that. i think that's that's the main thing uh people who look at this program they the money is nice obviously but the resources you get are a lot more valuable let's say and even if you remove the resources is what you get from at the end at the end of the of the of the program people have about Two months, yeah, two months to prepare, really, you know, kind of prepare their idea, the final idea and how it's going to be because there's a demo day where we pitch in front of uh, of investors of just, I don't know how they're selected, but a lot of investors from uh, both angel fund, VCs, any type of investor, basically. And this is what's very powerful because you get this audience just like this, who is paying attention to you, which is normally quite hard to get if you're just a, uh, just a random startup to, to get as many contacts as fast as this, who will immediately sort of trust you because you're VC-backed by Entrepreneur First. Uh, that's, that's quite, I'd say that that might be the number one best thing together with like the constant resource you get from like, um, people who work at EF, who will give you tips about marketing, about a business model, about uh, how to present your idea, you know, pitching any, anything kind of, you know, those, I wouldn't call it secondary skills, but those things that make up the startup that are still important. You know, market is important. Pitching right is important. Fine testing your idea and fine tuning your idea and stuff. That's, that, those are all important things and they help you with all of that. What is like one of the things that they've actually helped you like learn? Like, or that is important that you, a normal person like say me and Aaron, we have a company right now. All right. So one of the things is, is really to make, oh, that's one that I really like is to work the less possible on the product before actually presenting it. So you have to do the, you have to find the best strategy. So it looks like you have a product, but you don't. Right. So uh, depending on the startup, if it's something like AI related, usually the common loophole is to have a man in the middle, right? So, uh, so you're actually like you're selling an algorithm which you don't have, and you replace the algorithm with yourself. That's something quite common that uh, that people have done. Other stuff might be like what Dropbox did, which I think was was phenomenal. So I didn't know the story, and they they showed in one of the presentation back in I guess around two thousand. 8, 10, I'm not sure when Dropbox was launched. The guy who came up with the idea didn't actually didn't actually want to build it completely because it's it's a complicated software to build. It requires a lot of things like the back end. Everything is complicated about it. So you'd have to put so much money just to, to get it going. So what instead he did, he imagined the software and he created a fake software, which was basically just an animation, right? 
So it was just a few buttons were working and very few actions were working and it wasn't actually working. There was no backend. It was just the front and it looked like it was working. And he made a video of him basically using Dropbox and explaining Dropbox, right? Uh, so it was just a YouTube video that he put on YouTube and on his website, uh, which was showing, oh, look, I've, I've, I'm working on this software. Look at it works. Like uh, if you want to keep your files, you drag and drop, blah, blah. It remembers, it's synchronized. You know, it was just explaining and showing the software as if the software was already there, but it was all bullshit. There was nothing in the back. It was just kind of like a well-made montage, if, if you want to put it that way. Fake it till you make it, right? Yeah, but what, what happened there, what happened there, what was important about it is that he used it to understand what the clients really wanted. So uh, this video was put on his website, which at the time was called getdropbox.com, right? And there was just this video. And then there was like a button, uh, something like, you know, sign up or get the software or whatever. And then they had to fill a very small survey saying like, oh, what is the best thing about? What is the worst thing about? You know, get some information from the user and even maybe go like... Um, maybe even put the prices and see, are they going to go for the basic option, the premium option, the super class option? So you're trying to extract information from the user on how you're actually going to build a product and how much money you're going to be able to make of it. Because those are very important things that you can... Then if your product is too big, you can go to the investor. And with this data, if they see like, oh, people are ready to pay like $10 a month subscription, it's going to cost us... 50,000 to produce it. Uh, we have already about, I don't know, 10K people interested. You know, you start getting numbers, which the investor, they like. They're like, oh yeah, this is solid. This is actual people wanting the software. So the main idea out of this whole thing is what you should do if you have an idea of a product is you act as if whatever complicated thing is already made and you just see the traction that you get and you see what people don't really care about, which you might have thought they cared, and what they actually care about, which you might have not even thought about. Right? So you're trying to do the least effort and get the most information from the user. That's that's in in one sentence what you're what you should be doing. And you're saying like that before you like even build anything. Yeah, really. before like depending on the software, either just build the really like an MVP something that you can do out of work uh, on the evenings or on the weekend. Or uh, even just a montage or something that explains just to get traction and to get information. Whatever, it, it really depends on the product at that point. So uh, you'd have to give me a product that could tell you, oh, you could do this or that. But basically, least effort, most information. And that's going to help you uh, actually produce something that uh, the market wants. Because that's another thing that I learned is the biggest startup killer is um, there is no market fit. There's actually no one who needs this product. It's it's literally the number one. It's not loss of it's not uh, no no money anymore. It's the product you created. Nobody actually really wanted it, or they weren't ready to pay for for that. You know something something around those lines. One one thing I actually wanted to know more about, and you might be able to, mm -hmm. I know, teach me a bit more. I, I've been involved in like startups since like me and you did Retrievo. Yeah, and like I still haven't like really wrapped my head around the whole kind of funding and angel investors series a series b like what kind of any of that actually really means so yeah what what's kind of like the breakdown so say you are a startup you've you just made this prototype that you just said mm -hmm. um yeah. and you've, you've collected some stats from you've collected usage like potential people that might be interested target market everything where would you kind of go with that 
or what what kind of like and you you do want funding say we do want funding uh i mean it's probably the case for a lot of people who try these things you know if if they don't have any income they might be able to survive two three months but not enough to actually launch a product so um what do you do so you have an idea you got the data <clears throat> you got the user data through one of these montages or whatever way you found to to get information at this point there's a verse as you said there's various uh, levels of of investing so usually you have like angels and venture capitalists are like the type of investor angel are only going to do pretty low sums for very early stage ideas and vcs they take basically all the rest and they can even there there's even vcs who do uh, from very early stage so th- that's just a type of of investor it just means that usually uh, venture capitalists are more like a business whereas angels are just you know maybe you have like a, a few million in the bank and you just want to invest it you don't go for anyone else it's just you personally want to do it so that's that's for the investor side and then for um for the the actual money side so usually you get uh, pre-seed is like when you're very early stage. So you don't actually have a product. So that'll be the first, that'll be the first money you get. Yeah. Pre-seed. So if you have no product, you, you probably have to go through pre-seed. Pre-seed is going to be low amount. Like for instance, EF gives you a pre-seed. It gives you 80, 80,000 um, pounds. So it's, it's low amount, but it gets you going for maybe, you know, one year or whatever you need to, to prepare the product. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you get seed. Now seed is, is still very early stage, but at this, at the point of seed, you should already have like not necessarily a product. I mean, probably not a product. You may have an MVP, so a minimum viable product, but what you're likely or what you have to have, some would say is a POC, a proof of concept. So you have an idea, uh, you've got the data, and you started building a very basic version of the of the of what you want to sell, right? So that's going to be your proof mm-hmm. of concept. And and you know at this point also to get a seed, you probably want to have a real business model. You probably want to have already studied the market. You know a lot of these things that you might not have done uh, when you just had the idea and were like on a hunch, if you want, like a developed hunch. Uh, at seed, yeah. you already have like a real product idea. And you know who you're going to sell it to and you know what it's going to consist of and you know what the pricing is going to be more or less. You know, these kind of things are, are fixed at that point. And a seed is where you get into the real big, big number. So it's, again, it can vary a lot, but usually it will be a f- less than a, it can even be, a, it can even be less than two millions, I would say. You're not going to get more than two millions in seeds. But it can very easily be, you know, 400K, 800K. Uh, it's an amount which is going to be for more than just one person. At that point, you should start to hire people to yeah. help you make the project, which is not the case for Precede. Precede is like one, two okay. people max. You're not going to survive with Precede uh, with more than two, two people. And then what about like, I've always, you hear like Series A, Series B, so at that point, when you get to the Series A, you're already you're already like a working company. At this point, you're already a company. You already have a product, but maybe you're gonna need more more money because your product is not yet generating enough revenue. So suppose you have a product which you get I don't know one dollar per person per month. Uh, but the idea is that this product is so common that at some point you're like you know ten million people will use it for sure. 
right? It's like such such a, a, an important thing that you know people are going to be using it, right? Suppose. But at this point, you're still only at, I don't know, 100K people. So you already have some traction, right? 100K is a lot. You already have like $1 per person per month coming in. But maybe you need more because you're burning more uh, than um, than you're generating. Maybe you only start generating when you get past 1 million. Yeah. If you go yeah. for your employees, that goes that goes really quick. Yeah, exactly. So uh, usually when you get to the series uh, thing, it's more about an ex- It's either because you're, you, you're not at the point where you're like in, independent yet or... There's another case, which is also very common. You're already independent, but you want to expand. You want to expand in a new market, and it's going to be a big project, which is going to cost a lot of money. And so you're going to need to earn more people and to do more stuff, but it's going to be generating a lot more in the future. So you go into the series to uh, kind of get invested. Like you, yeah, you have to expand. You have to expand quickly. That's usually also what you want to do, which is where you get into the series. series uh, a, B, and C. It's quite rare to see Series C, uh, but at this point, you're already a very large company. We get to the Series. Yeah. Uh, series A, you might still be fairly small. Like, I mean, small is a big not is a big uh, is a big word, but you might still be like uh, growing and not there yet. But by Series B, you're usually already generating revenue. And just want to expand, uh, to expand more quickly, possibly like. You, know, you just need more money because you need to do more and more quickly, basically. Okay, cool. That helps a lot. So tell us a bit about this uh, this startup that you're currently working on. Then. Yeah, so um, so it's a startup about uh, cybersecurity. Uh, more precisely, it's about it's about detection of something called shell codes. You might have heard of them in the wild. So basically, what, what are shell codes? If uh, if we haven't heard of them in the wild, because obviously not all of our viewers will also be. Technical, <laughs> yeah, no, okay, so. yeah, you're f- fair enough. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so a shell code is. Um, so I think to explain it, I'm going to explain first of all cybersecurity and general threats, and then I'm going to go deeper and deeper. It makes more sense. Yeah. So when yeah. you talk about cybersecurity, there's a lot of potential threats, like so many. Uh, the probably if. One of the most common ones, at least in terms of numbers, but not necessarily in terms of damage, is phishing. So phishing includes anything where someone is uh, making you believe that there's someone else. So it can be uh, someone calling you and saying they're Microsoft. It can be a a fake uh, bank email, a fake Amazon website. You know, it can be anything where basically you're talking to someone, believing that they're someone else, that they're not. And so you're giving them information. And then they use this information to make damage. So if they're trying, they're faking to be a bank, they could then you know get your password and siphon your funds. If I mean phishing is is very common. Oh, common one is also the emails about uh, your boss telling you, oh, I have a big problem with money. Can you buy like promo codes for uh, Walmart or whatever and send them to me? Because like my card. <laughs> this is so common. This is one of the most common uh, attacks. Uh, but yet it works so well. It even worked at, at my previous company. We got someone who fell for that, which is insane. Wait, what? Someone emails you saying that, you're, that they're your boss? Yeah. And if you can... Help them because they're in trouble. Uh, because, uh, you know, maybe they, they're telling you, oh, quickly, like, my, my bank card is being refused and I absolutely need to make this purchase. Can you, like, buy these promo codes so I can, like, use them immediately? Kind of. And that's, that's something very, very common. Because it kind of plays on authority too, you know, like it's your boss. You're like, oh, f- fuck, it's my boss. You know, okay, they might use yeah. a, 
a very similar but fake email. Do you know, yeah, currently I, the Outlook filter sometimes aren't fast enough here, but sometimes uh, occasional email slips because you know how you can change like how your username is, your display name and your header and stuff, most of your header. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. people start changing it. So the most, the more recent ones I get is like Aaron Conway forward. I might, you might want to see this. I know it's not Aaron because Aaron doesn't have Aaron can't be sending me an email. If I'm like, <laughs> 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 and then other other times they'll be like, you know, one of my when in previous like data breaches when your password gets leaked here. Mm-hmm. So yeah. very very old passwords which I don't use unless like I feel like the site is insecure anyways. So mm-hmm. I just use it on those ones and. <laughs> so I mean that password in the um, you know, the subject heading trying to threaten me. I'm just like, okay, that's not like I give a fuck. <laughs> like, do what you gotta do. Oh yeah, also that, that as a to anyone that's not technical, please don't click on any dodgy emails that even if they are from your friend, just give them a text first. <laughs> yeah, like if if you see something dodgy in any way, like something that you go like, th- there's something slightly strange about this. Just ask the person on any other mean, you know, whether uh, yeah. text message, WhatsApp. Uh, messenger whatever is not the thing that was used to confirm that they did ask you that i've, I've had it happen to me yeah. you know like it's, don't it's, use um normal texting like just because um there's this guy i think his like name is ryan something yeah so he um when i w- initially did my training for my current job yeah so initially we were given some cyber security training right mm-hmm. and this guy had gone to jail for like basically hacking um the fbi <laughs> um hacking um Sony PlayStation and all of that stuff, yeah. And yeah. just hacking a whole lot of websites because they claimed that they were secure and they weren't. So he would just just go and show them that now nah, look, your website's not secure. <laughs> and eventually and he didn't get caught for like a long time. I'm gonna find his name because it's sick. I know Nish had also training from him as well, which was a <laughs> mad coincidence because me and him were like both gassing this guy up. I uh I got a call at at like the end of January this year, or just after January, and I picked it up and I, I just filed my taxes the day before, uh-huh. like my self-employment stuff. And I kind of like, I left it like to the last minute and I kind of rushed it. So I was a bit like, okay. Now I got a call and it was like, this is HMRC. You are like responsible for fraud. You are about to be arrested. And yeah. I was scared shit because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I just filed my stuff the day before. And I actually thought it could have been serious, but. I think I like looked it up and like they'll never like call you no. about it or something like that. It was funny. It was it was like somewhere it almost got me here yeah, because I actually did my tax return like the day before like the January end of January deadline. So I was like, no, wait, no, nah, surely not. <laughs> I was like, surely not. But obviously, I was. You know, I actually know someone that actually fell for it and then got scammed out of like a couple of hundred quid. And I was like, bro, you work in tech. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it just goes to show like everyone's vulnerable um, to these attacks. I remember I once had a similar experience with an email. Uh, my mom forwarded me an email that apparently the Apple Store had sent her saying like uh, confirmation of purchase, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. And she hadn't purchased anything. So at first, I, even, even I, when I received the email that she forwarded me, I thought, oh, someone must have gotten into her apple account in one way or another yeah uh, but then when you clicked I, I realized that when you clicked on the link like to which said like uh, you know go to the apple store so no the email was really well done it was designed exactly like the real apple store email when you went on the on the link for the for the apple thing i realized like uh, by hovering on top of it right that it wasn't actually the apple store it was uh some okay, yeah. dodgy link like something so i opened it in like a sandbox stuff and it was a, a direct copy of the real website and you know it was asking you to log in but 
obviously at this point I was like, oh, oh, uh, shit. Okay. So I immediately told her, have you used that, that to log in? And she said, yes. So I told her, go, just go change your password right now. And it ended up, you know, that the whole payment was actually fa- false. There, there hadn't been any, any purchase. It was just a fake confirmation email just to get you to log in through the email. That, I thought that was very advanced. Like it, it was yeah. really, really uh, playing with your emotions. Yeah. Because, about yeah. like, about I think a year and a half ago, the Amazon and PayPal ones just kept getting better and better and better. If you don't know how to check the header yourself, like, yeah, just, yeah, it sounds, like, yeah. It is. It can actually get you on the ropes, like just a little bit, or if you don't look out for those flaws in the email. So, yeah, just please um, take care when you're looking at these emails. I do keep an eye on. I I open a casual um fraud one, you know, from like Amazon and stuff. Yeah, and I do forward them to like stop spoofing from Amazon and whatever the PayPal one is, just because I I don't I know that they're gonna uh, loads of customers that lose out. So miles are forward and yeah. like, this is the level people are at. So you um just sort it out as fast as you can until the next wave. Because yeah. I guarantee, even though I didn't click it, someone else probably clicked it, and that's them losing their P. It's a tough game, but yeah. So th- this is like the the first type of threat is. I mean, one of the most common for <laughs> like the normal person, if you want, is going to be phishing. But then um, also the hacker's name, by the way, is Ryan Ackroyd. Um, he's also known as Kayla and Lolspoon. He was part of an organization called Lolsec. Yeah, Lols. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean they're famous. <laughs> Yeah, so um, if you want to have a read, we'll leave the link in the description. He's he's an OG. Um, he's a veteran, but I'm sure he's a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, so what he did was basically, you see how you normally text, like me and you may have each other's phone number, so we text, not like WhatsApp, but a normal text. Mm-hmm. He had like a Python app where he could just basically if text you, Ed, but then it would come up as my name, but it would be in a blank chat history. So it would be like, Hamish Lackman has texted you. And you start responding like, oh, I need to, I'll be like, oh, I need a five um, immediately. Could you just transfer it to these details or, you know, just give me. And then he would, um, since it would look real, yeah, you could just do that. And I was like, right. He was just showing it as an example, but he didn't obviously do it to us. Yeah. And like, it actually like came up with the thing. The only thing it was the chat history, obviously it was blank because of the different heading. But that was like, I was like, raw. This guy, this guy's on it. Uh, this guy, this guy's real. But yeah, I think I think if anyone had a cybersecurity lesson from him, like from your your life would be changed. <laughs> That's like if if I've ever had like training or teaching on like anything, I feel like that guy's been one of the best tutors to ever deliver like a lesson. I'd like to speak to him. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Just be careful. He may he may t- <laughs> take control of your laptop. Maybe who knows? Who knows? Uh, but yeah, right. So. Um... So that's phishing. So phishing is faking, uh, faking you someone else, some authority or something else. The, um, from there on, I think most cyber attacks become complicated enough that it's very hard to to go into detail. There's so many types, so many things. So, but basically, you probably know about DDoS or denial denial of service attack, which is basically just uh, sending so many requests to a server that it can't handle them and basically breaks down for everyone. So that's a common one also, usually done on governments and stuff like that. But then more gene- more generic attacks, like and now we're talking about targeted attacks. What they're going to do, they're going to usually be separated into several steps. The first step is going to be a vulnerability, right? So you know the person you're attacking is maybe running this specific software or is on this version of a server or somehow you have information about them, right? And... Uh, you discover vulnerability with the software. So again, the most common, well, I'm not going to go into detail, but you discover a vulnerability, right? So you're going to have to use this vulnerability. The vulnerability is just a door. It's just you 
sort of opening the door to the building. But then you need to actually do something in the building. And this is when shell codes arrive. So the shell code or uh, payload is going to be the piece of code which is going to prepare whatever next stage uh, next stage it is. So common versions of a, cell, of a shell code may be like a dropper. So a dropper is something that goes and downloads a, a, a heavier file from the internet, like an actual virus. So maybe a Trojan or some other spyware. It could be something that opens a, a shell to, to you. So you're at your home and poof, a little shell pops up. And you have control of the other person, the other person's computer. But in general, a shellcode is just gonna be what actually what creates the connection. And then finally, you have the bomb, which uh, may also be the shellcode, or maybe whatever the shellcode activates. So you can download a virus, as I said. You can uh, just get remote control, like your attacker can get remote control from the server, etc. And this is just a generic form of um, of a cyber attack. And what we do at uh, at my company is we basically try to detect shellcodes directly from the network stream. So it's some many cyber companies, they try to defend against vulnerabilities or they try to prevent vulnerabilities. But the problem is vulnerabilities as part of, they're always a part of, of anything, uh, anything in computers. Any software that you write, any software that you know of, like including Google, Amazon, Facebook, they all, no software is perfect. You know, there's often a joke the only way to have a completely secure software is uh, to not have any or just, you know, switch it off. Then then it's secure because there's nothing. As soon as you're going to have something, there's likely going to be some vulnerability, especially when it gets complex, you know, when you get real software. Yeah, just to add in there, so like if you look at actually like the report a bug on sections on like places like PayPal and Amazon, they're willing, if you don't report anything, they're willing to pay you out like a million or something. And yeah, yeah. you just report it to them, sign an NDA, they patch it. You walk home with a, a million or whatever, and they carry on with their lives. You carry on with your life, um, and yeah. It's, and, I mean, a million is a big one. Uh, that must be a very, a very big threat. <laughs> usually, uh, they, they're still usually about depending on how vulnerable it is. Um, they could be a few, uh, a few dozen case, but usually, I often see a hundred k is like a standard. You know, if you find a vulnerability, which is somewhat dangerous, it's 100K. If you find like a big vulnerability, then you can get to like a million and even more. And actually, there's a whole market of people selling basically exploits. So an exploit is just a piece of software which does all what I've described in one, right? It knows a vulnerability and it will exploit it and it will uh, then do whatever it is you want to do, install a virus get get remote access and they're sell, trying to sell it for a higher amount than what the company would offer them basically yeah yeah uh you yeah it could be it could be that or maybe they're just trying to sell it because you know they don't maybe the company doesn't have a good policy on on paying you yeah it can, it's usually going to be that but the thing is those those can sometimes even go like the black market of exploits is, is really interesting uh those can go on um what is it called again uh when people you know bet money they keep on adding um, like, bidding. Oh, I'll, I'll, Do you mean bids? Yeah, they're bidding. Yeah, exactly. They're going to bidding. You know, there's bidding wars to buy softwares, <laughs> to buy exploits. So, <laughs> you know, you can make something which you're not going to use because, you know, you, you don't want to basically... Maybe you just don't have a reason to use it 
or or maybe it's just because you don't want to have the risk of using it and be, getting caught and going to prison, whatever. So you just decide to sell it, right? It's the, it's the easy way out. And uh, and so, yeah, they go on bidding words about softwares, about like maybe it's an exploit on Zoom. Recently, we've seen that. I don't know if that one was mm-hmm. on, on bids, uh, but, uh, you know, it can be on Amazon. It can even be on something like, you know, Acrobat Reader is a common is a commonly exploited uh, software for various technical <laughs> reasons. So... Yeah. So what we do is we try to detect the the, the shell code while it's still in the stream. Right? It's still just packets that your computer is receiving, but they're not activated yet. He's not actually reading them. And if you can stop it at that point, then you can stop the, the full attack. So are you just detecting these um, these shell codes or are you detecting them and then doing something? Yeah. So there's always a, a balance, a problem. Uh, so what you're describing is real real-time protection. So real-time protection means that you're going to detect and, and stop. What happens, though, is what if you did a false positive and then you just stopped a stream of actually useful information? You know, maybe this, this chat that we're having is uh, at the network level is just a stream of data between you and, and me through a server. And what if you falsely believe that this stream is, uh, is a shellcode and then you, you cut it and then you're just, you know, in this case, it wouldn't be too bad, but in bigger case, you can be talking about millions of dollars just for like, because you, because you, you've blocked this stream and maybe it was very important information. Maybe it was like financial trades. Maybe it was someone who was about to, to buy uh, stocks uh, from, uh, from the, from the market. So. Instead of blocking it, we'll immediately send an alert. And depending on the company, things that can happen is, for instance, maybe you can sandbox the recipient or stuff like that. So that even if there's some, some malicious code, uh, it's, it's not going to do damage. And if there's no malicious code, then you don't lose any data. Everything, like, it's just like everything goes back to normal. Um, or other, you know, there's other systems. So what we're actually working on is rather real, uh, real time, uh, detection. But the difference between detection and protection is, is just going to be about if you're accurate enough that it can go to protection, then it goes to protection. But that, you know, you need to, it's, it's much harder to get in the client. So it's preferable if you first do detection and if the client sees like it works and it works well and it's not doing false positive, then they might just say like, you know what, anything that you say is a threat, just, just block it. Um, that's just the nuance between the two. Um. Is it like a Windows Defender that you're installing on your laptop or is it like, is it a Chrome extension? What is it like? Yeah, so um, it's going to be mostly for companies rather than for people. Uh, so what we're doing is we're doing on the stream, on the network stream. So we don't actually need to be on device, right? We could be at the router level, for instance. Mm-hmm. We could be at the ICS level, which is even one level higher up than the router. We can be at the VPN level. If the company has a VPN, as a as a, an enterprise VPN, so uh, because we're not on device, we don't necessarily have to be on device, but we can be on device. You know, it can be something that works in parallel with a firewall on device. So the the tech that is behind does not does not depend on the de- on on this, but it can be implemented in any way. Basically, that's the that's the short uh, short uh, answer. Nice. And then what? So like your clients would be companies. Yeah. Um, mostly. I mean, it can be people, but it's just, you know, people don't... The kind of attack that we protect against, like this kind of attack that I've described, uh, usually not done onto people because there's not enough to gain. Like, it's easier to trick people with phishing and with very inexpensive things. Uh, but this kind of, like, more targeted attack and more, like, complex, but also 
harder to defend against. Uh, those, you know, you, you put a lot of effort, but you're going to get a lot of reward back if it works. So it might be like, you know, yeah, uh, all the password database, it could be like, God knows what other information, secret information about, about the company. Uh, it could be even just, uh, stealing, stealing, um, uh, stealing, uh, how would you call it? Industrial, industrial espionage, which is basically the practice of stealing information about a brand, which they have not made public for maybe tech reason. Maybe it's their secret, their trade secret. Okay. So you can get, if you get access to their computers, you can get access to all of that. Yeah. So it's like stealing the third wheel secrets. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a big secret. You're going to have to explain it because you're at 30. There must be a trade secret to get the motivation. If somebody wanted to hack us to find out what episode ah, 32 yes. was yeah. or 33, well, they're their secrets. Um, <laughs> They'll also find like a file probably saying your mom in it or something. <laughs> so <if> they want, <laughs> they're more than welcome to yeah. go, go to our folders. Uh, so at the moment, is the company just you, uh, you two co-founders? Then? Yeah, for the moment, yeah. Uh, we're looking, we're, so as I said, like we had the demo day from uh, EF, uh, Fun thing, the demo day was remote since, you know, COVID happened in the meantime. Okay. <laughs> so, so that was quite funny. Usually, we were meant to be in London. I was going to visit you, you know, I was so happy. But it got yeah. cancelled. The whole thing was cancelled. I mean, it got moved to to, uh, to to internet. And yeah, so we're, we've just been doing home office and working. And he's mostly talking with VCs and I'm mostly working on the tech as you would yeah it's, it's quite good so it's it's quite interesting like i've, I've already taken part in in a few vc discussions because usually what happens so since we're talking about uh, the investor investor process so suppose again you're a small company and uh, or you're not yet a company sorry you're you want to make a company and you're just one person or two two friends with an idea and you're looking for for investors so the common way you do that is in one way or another contact them uh, it can be you know, you, you start following them on LinkedIn, you start commenting them, you just be happy. And then after like a month or two of communication, you go like, oh, by the way, you know, you have to be nice. You have to be humane. Otherwise, they're, they're just going to reject you. Or, you know, more like if if it's already people that you know, they're, they just want to be direct, you just send them an email. Here's my ideas, my pitch. Would you like to, to set up a call? Stuff like that. Usually on LinkedIn, you shouldn't be direct. That's the common thing. You know, if you want to be direct, you go on their website. And you find their email that they use. They probably have an email saying like, uh, "Send your pitch or want to pitch us or something mm-hmm. like this," and you use that one. Um, but yeah, so what you do, you you're gonna have to like contact them all. Uh, the strength is in number. You're just trying to get you get uh, to get pitches because there is one important thing that maybe people who have never done uh, worked in startups might not know is the people who are gonna answer you. You know, you're gonna get like a pitch thing. And it's 99% of the, of the time, it's not going to work out because pitching, like anything else, is a skill which you learn. And actually, it's good if the first investor is not actually a good investor. I mean, it's not an investor you'd want. Maybe it's not your market or something like that because you get to train and you get to experience what it feels like and the question they're going to ask you. Gonna, they're going to be like attacking your product. They're going to be finding all the flaws. They're going to be like, yeah, but uh, what is... Uh, how are you going to deal with this? Yeah, but what about this? They're going to be asking a lot of questions, which are going to be extremely useful for you to develop your product, but also going to be extremely useful to train for maybe the investor you actually want. It's yeah. so you have to. It's a training, so you want to go in, in number. You want to you want to send too many, organize meetings. Usually, it's going to be phone calls, and the first meeting is going to be 
well, depending if it's close to you or not, on them, it's usually going to be a phone call of about half an hour, kind of like a first interview um, interview for a job where they're going to be like asking you a bit about business model stuff, give me a, a presentation, something like this, like a PowerPoint, something quite common, right? It's, it's like the basic, the basic pitch. Then if they're happy with that, they're going to go to next stage, which is going to be more tech related. If you're a tech company, I'm talking about tech company. I don't really know how other non-tech companies work. Uh, it might be different, but in tech companies, they're going to start asking like, you know, what's the tech? What's the secret? Why is it untouchable? Why has no one else done it before? What have you done? Is there a POC? Is there an MVP? Is there anything you have to show us? And if it goes on well, then you start doing like more, you might get to like three, four, maybe five meetings. And then you start going like, okay, you know what? We're interested in you. And at that point, you start formalizing the process and you do something that is called a due diligence. So due diligence is basically going to be a full ex- exchange. At this point, you're like, there's in a way no secrets between you and the investor. You have to show them anything they asked. They, you're protected by NDAs. You know, the whole thing is protected. But basically, they're going to have to check. They're going to check that you're not lying. You know, you said like, oh, I have this tech. It can can solve cancer. But then if you have nothing in the back, of course, you have nothing. So due diligence is basically this process, which is usually about two to three months long, uh, where they're going to check that everything's in order, they're going to check everything, and you're going to start talking about like actual money, you know, how much money we're going to give you, at what valuation, and you're going to start negotiating. And there may be other um, other side things that you want to, to discuss, for instance, uh, uh, stock options, or like uh, how many employees are, how are you going to spend the money? It's going to, once you get in due diligence, you're basically like really negotiating. It's an, in, in a way, they want you, you want them. If everything goes right, you have a deal. Uh, so that's the last stage. And at the moment, what we're doing is the, the, the VC stage. So we had demo day. We're talking with, uh, with investors. Uh, my, my partner is doing a lot of first calls and I've already had a few second calls, so a few more tech calls. And then we see what goes on. Have you found it like challenging? Like, have you been like, do you get like annoyed maybe like sometimes? Cause sometimes it takes a lot of patience to repeat yourself promoting a product over and over and over again for quite the same amount of time as well so what is one thing you'd advise when i guess you have to keep doing the same thing let's just say in your in your case a hundred times over over the next few months Fortunately, I shouldn't have a hundred. My partner is already at like a few dozens, so it may actually get to a hundred. I, I shouldn't get to a hundred. I should get to maybe a dozen, uh, a dozen. Uh, at that point, if we haven't found one, it's probably bad. Bad. Uh, <laughs> bad protocol. Yes. Yeah, so, so if you're more on the on the CEO side, uh, on the on the business side, you're you're really gonna have to learn to first of all tell a story about your product or company or what is it you're doing. You have to make it very easy, especially if it's tech. They have to understand what you're doing. And But the thing is, they can't. You, know, you cannot actually go into technical stuff in the first call. They'll get bored. You know, they, they hear a lot of speeches and they just want to get that one where they just cannot, like, fall in love at first sight, in a way. It's not actually fully love, but in the sense, it doesn't have to be like so extreme, but it's like, they go like, you know, I like this guy. Let's hear more about it. And to do that, you have to be clear. You have to tell a story. You know, you have to be like a good storyteller or usually good businessman uh, because investors listen to them and they're like in the story and they're like, oh, wow. And what you're going to do? Oh, you're going to do that. Oh, that's great. Wow. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they, they want to end up uh, take, going out of the meeting and they want to, one, I felt like they've understood something new. You know, your company, they're like, oh, yeah, I never thought about that problem, too. I've I thought that, oh, your solution is good, too. 
You know, they want to feel like they've learned something from this meeting. And the only way to do that is to simplify and to tell and to be a good storyteller. And the only way to get better at this is one, obviously, to train at telling the pitch, but two, to very be very careful the questions they ask you and remember, because if they ask you a question, it's probably because they you haven't explained something well. Right? If you're like telling a story and at some point they go like, I don't understand that bit about the story, it means that that bit of the story was not explained well enough. So the best simple way to, to tune it is to just go like, okay, they asked me this question. So it means I have to rewrite and go again about why this part. And maybe, you know, you train with your brother or sister or friend or whoever might be at the same level of an investor in terms of technicality and see, do they understand the story? Uh, okay, next. But then you don't have to bias yourself. You know, someone like, someone, maybe your brother, who you've told the story like 10 times, 20 times, who you've talked about outside, he will be biased because he already knows the story. Uh, so you have to like try and switch people, which is why talking to a lot of investors is good because they're they're the person you're actually trying to sell the, the pitch to. And yeah, the best thing I can tell is listen to the question, write down the question and think about how you can improve whatever part of the story that was related to this question. And on the technical side, it's about giving enough details, but not too much. Because even technical people, you know, they come from different sectors. Uh, VCs, it's you're, it's like for me, cybersecurity, we're not, probably not going to have even one uh, tech VC who's going to be really deep into cybersecurity. Or maybe if he is, he might be on another sector of cybersecurity. So you have to try and relate to them. Uh, so maybe do some research on them. Go like, oh, he he actually was a, a cloud engineer. So I can use that because our application is also in the cloud. So I can, you know, relate with him with that and say like, oh, yeah, so we're also going to be a product on the cloud. And it's going to work this way and that way. And, and it's going to be able to to be more part of the story this way. So, yeah. I, I think you'd be a good storyteller. I, I don't know. I, think I talk too much, I think. No, no, can I say, yeah, that if, that's if good, at uni, someone asked for an explanation from Edge, yeah, who, who would try and say, who would, who would say it in a way like, like, how do you not get this, 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 that, that, that. And now, yeah, he explains it like so basic. So like everyone of the audience, I guess, can get it. I'm not, I mean, like, raw. if I ask Ed a question, he'd would probably say, are you fucking stupid? This is left, right, center. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and now, now he's like a super nice person, man. Times have changed. I, I, I just don't like you, Hamish. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a long list of those people. <laughs> get in line um, i guess as, as you mentioned it how is it all like has covid19 and lockdown made a difference at all right to you? that's that's definitely a big difference some positives some negatives so the main okay so i think a very good positive thing is that that's maybe a bad thing about ef is that ef tends to really try to stress you out and you know get a product as fast as you can just like kind of go blindly which i think is a bad approach you know at the, when you start getting like something a product, an idea which seems to work, you may want to develop it a bit more because you're going to find out a lot of things that you hadn't thought about before, which are maybe like issues, which are like, oh, maybe shortcuts actually. So, and EF really wants to to stress you out and put out something. And this lockdown, this whole COVID thing has actually slowed down everything. The whole sector is slowed down, which actually means you have more time to think. You have more time to take things a bit slower and think a, a bit more about about really like the end result you want to achieve. Um, so there's that's that's the positive thing. But that's EF slowed down, but not. I wouldn't have thought like cybersecurity is slowed down. So cybersecurity definitely has not slowed down. 
but yeah. the investors are slowed down. All the investing, right, okay. all all the investor at the moment is I wouldn't say frozen. Some some investors are completely frozen, but all of it is slowed down. And actually, in a way, for for VCs at the moment, I'd say it's a great, great, great interval of time because because of like this kind of like semi recession we're starting to live, which we don't know if it's actually going to go into a full recession or if it's just going to be like a a dip. It's it's hard to tell. It's gonna. This is just gonna be found out in the next couple of months. Um, they've they've had to slow down, and so all company valuations are a lot smaller now. So whereas before you may have asked for one million for twenty percent, now they get a discount because they're never gonna give you one million <laughs> for twenty percent. They might give you like eight hundred k or seven hundred k. They're never gonna give you a one million. They get, a, in my opinion, the way I see it is they get a discount. Before they had to pay a million. Now they get like 20, 30% off. Uh, and it's a coronavirus special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you called Corona at the track. So, so I think generally speaking, what a trend that, uh, that I've noticed from EF and stuff is that companies, which are a bit more, a bit more like just about improving something about life, about the work are going to be a lot less less well invested and maybe even not so companies which are like a good idea you know it's a good idea of a product it may even work but it's not like something disrupting enough or something new enough or it's just like you know a new product for hr or whatever like a new chat maybe it's great in some way but it's just a new chat those are going to be the biggest losers but if you work in like in like um medical stuff Oh boy, you're gonna get all the money. You're gonna get like you, you're gonna get a prime uh, prime service. If you work in like you know something maybe very out there about uh, uh, gene therapy for immune protection, whatever whatever crazy idea you might have, you may get more investment because they now see the threat that it poses uh, economically. So they want they, they they want to invest in that. Uh, cybersecurity is a bit in the it's I guess in the middle slash winning end maybe because we've seen a lot of um, of cyber attacks recently like Zoom and stuff uh, which have made big news. So in a way, those kind of news they 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 go into people's heads and they may think like, oh yeah, but you know, cybersecurity is a big thing at the moment because of remote remote work and home office. You know what's mad? Yeah. So regarding the Zoom, so I think the Zoom one was legit, but then I remember there was also one on House Party, but House Party said. This yeah. was media yeah. attacks here. So if anyone's got any real um, sources of a breach here, we'll we'll pay you a bounty ourselves. Yeah, um, if you want to go yeah. find us where this um, breach happened and any of anything from the breach, and I yeah, found they, that they, hilarious. They gave. I mean, they wanted to. They said uh, if you find a thing, it's one million. I remember seeing that. Yeah. Uh, they just went like, I don't believe you. Uh, yeah. Zoom tried to do the same tactic. I saw, I think it was yesterday or the day before. They tried to do the same tactic, but people did not react the same way. Yeah, I yeah. think it's because Zoom has had problems before. It's not the first time. Yeah. Uh, so they've already like a slightly like worse reputation. So I think that's going to... Yeah, that, 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 that's a bit of a, a bad stuff. Yeah, you have to also, I guess, consider the end users of it. Like House Party is just like informal social stuff, whereas Zoom is like including yeah. enterprise yeah. So. And the um, reputational impact varies based on the urgency. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's a that's a big one. Yeah, and even even Google just said to their employee not to use Zoom 
which is uh, quite, quite a big statement. They just like said, don't I use I thought they'd be using words. Google Hangouts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was thinking. That's actually, when I saw the news, I was like, weren't they already just using Google Hangouts? What the hell? And then, like, how is it in Paris? So I'm actually not in Paris. Uh, I've left okay. Paris just before the quarantine was enforced because I, I saw that it was like, ah, I'm half Italian. I was following very closely Ital- the Italian situation, which at the time was already very bad. And I was like, there's no way, like the way France was reacting was actually so, so late in my opinion. I was like, how are you not seeing that there's a company, Italy right there, which is in so many ways, the same level of France. Like in terms of like medical healthcare, they're, 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 they're equivalent. They're, they're actually Italian healthcare is better. They just have slightly less equipment. So you get kind of like bands. You know, they have the same amount of population, same type of population, you know, in terms of interaction and everything. It's such a similar country in so many ways that I was like, why are you not reacting when the Italians are starting to like enforce proper full quarantine and you're not doing anything, nothing. So at that point, I knew that it was going to happen. And uh, we just decided with my girlfriend to, to, to get out of Paris before they would lock us in Paris. And before we get the COVID, maybe who knows? Uh, so we ended up going. Uh, so I'm in I'm in the countryside right now. I'm in, like about uh, one hour away from Paris, just in a, in a countryside okay. home. So I've not, but I've seen from like friends and stuff, and and I mean even here we have the same restriction as they have in Paris, which is you cannot really go out. Uh, every time you go out, you have to have like a, a signed paper, which basically states what, what the reason for going out. There's a few select uh, things you can select, and you can only like for exercises, for instance. If you want Wait, to so you have up. to give a reason to leave? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So how, how does that, what are you, um, filling out something? like? A yeah, form, so or? since it's been a week now since they've made it uh, digital, so now you do it on the phone. Uh, like there is a website okay. that you go to and you, you fill it up. So I have, like I can, I can show you, I have one right um, here. I can tell you exactly what, right. So, okay, name, first name, date of birth, um, address, Blah blah. Then the type of selection is, for instance, one you you have to go to work and you cannot do uh, work from home. That's one reason. Two, like you have to you have to go buy food basically or anything that is absolutely necessary for for you. Maybe it's for work. You know, if I don't know, you're uh, you're in, you're a sculptor. You need your your stone or whatever. You might you might be able to get out if it's your job. You know, you need to. Three, if it's for medical reasons, fair enough. Four, if it's for familial reasons, but they have to be extremely important. Like it has to be something like you have to go out, maybe your grandmother, because she has no one to take care of her and she cannot take care of herself. So you have to go. It's not just like go visit. You cannot do that. Uh, five, it's uh, for like if you want to small, very, very small physical activity. Or like dog, if you have a dog and you need to take him out, uh, it's a, it's only one hour maximal per day, and you have to be at less than one kilometer from your house at all time. And then it's if you're being called by police, so uh, you know the, the judge wants to see if maybe you're a criminal or whatever. I don't know. And oh, Ed the has last to do that every day, uh, I have to do that <laughs> every day. They ask me to come. They go like, "Did you attack the FBI?" And I have to go, "No, I did not attack the FBI." That was Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> And the last one is just if you're working for like, um, if the government has asked you to work on something, like again, maybe yeah. maybe you're an artisan and they've asked you, we need help because we need to build this thing and you have the skill to build it. So we're going to have 
to ask you to come. So it's basically the same as work. And so this is like a website that you fill out? Yeah, you fill out, you submit, and it automatically generates a PDF, uh, which is downloaded to the phone. And then mm-hmm. any like a policeman can just stop you at any point. Like they can stop the car and just go like you show me your thing. If you don't have the document, uh, you get like you just get um, a fine. Uh, last time I checked, it was about 150 euros, and you have to go back home. Obviously, like they don't let you proceed to go to whatever you're going. They're like no, go home, do your thing, and then come back. Uh, basically, so so it is it is a, a real a real lockdown in terms of uh, freedom of movement and stuff. Um, you know, one thing I, I noticed about like other countries, like not not all countries, but like, like let's just take our example in the UK. So the act of the, the idea of people wanting to be free and that, that they think they're invincible. These two ideas basically mean that people just don't want to like fully enforce lockdown. There's a lot of us obviously doing it, but those two ideas seem to be like heavily, you know, telling people, oh, the sun's out. Let's all go to the park nearby. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's imagine thinking I, you're invincible to a biological. <laughs> oh, it only attacks the old, but then there's like 20, 20 years old people dying. Yeah. Uh, there's fewer, obviously. There's fewer. No, no questions asked about that, but they are there. Um, so it's, and I think, I think one important thing is not just about you. You might be a, a healthy carrier. Yeah, and then you go visit your grandma, and she dies because of you. It's a bit stupid, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, or it might just be like, you know, maybe you're walking and you're a healthy car, and you meet like a, a, an old lady who had to go to the to the to the doctor for some reason, maybe because she's old and she needs some sort of maintenance every every once in a while. So she had to go out. You chose to go out. You end up infecting her, and she dies. Right? Yeah. Like that's 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 the thing. So I think. This is where you see the difference between the UK. You see how the UK is more similar to the US than to Europe in a lot of ways, in the sense that it's, I wouldn't say it's more for freedom, but I think it's because it's a more liberal country, whereas the rest of Europe tends to be a more socialist country. So, and socialism at the root of socialism is also the belief that, you know, you're not alone in society. Right? So you have communism where you're not an individual. You are just a part of society, but you as yourself are just a piece. Then you get socialism, where you're like, you know, you're more than a piece. You're an individual. You have your own, uh, your own beliefs and your freedom and stuff. But uh, you also uh, believe that other people are important and you want to live in a community. And then you get more into like liberal, and that's when you start being more about the ego and less about about the others. And actually, you don't even need to be communist to be on the complete left side. If you look at countries, especially in the in Asia and especially especially Japan, Japanese have uh, a culture of community. They don't, they really work for the community. They're part of a community. They, you know, there is no real difference between the state and them. Whereas in the, in America, it's the complete opposite. The state is just there to do the, it should do the minimal amount possible. And I am me and I don't care about the others. And it's really funny to see, and Europe is sort of in the middle. Depending on the country, some of them are more left, some of them are more right. But this is not a, this is not necessarily what I'm saying is not necessarily an economical left or right. It's more like an ethical left or right, which has economic influences, but it's not. It's not the main reason. That that website that you said they had to fill out. Can you create multiple accounts on it? It's not about accounts. You know, the the, the French government is not actually tracking you in that way. Oh. You c- you can okay. create more than one file per day. You can 
I could create as many as I want. There is no chucking. It's the, it's like a moral sense that you're not gonna that you're gonna respect the rules. But if I wanted to, right. I could go running three times uh, a day for an hour, and just create it each time a new one. There is no like, oh, you've already done this today, you cannot do it again. So there is an amount of you can cheat if you want. Yeah. I thought they would have put like yeah. passport numbers or something in there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite awkward. Uh, no, uh, the French would not have agreed that. The French is still, uh, they still like their freedom. I mean, they're... One, one thing to point out to you, so like, the thing was like, even before, I guess, Paris went into lockdown, you did one risky thing, so you could have been a carrier and then you decided to go out in the countryside. So didn't you think in the same way that you'd also yeah. be posing that exactly? Yeah, in, fact, in fact, I didn't want to go out. Okay. I didn't want to go. It's just my uh, my girlfriend absolutely wanted to and I didn't want to. I was I was very much against <laughs> I, I, this, this <laughs> we decided like you know as long as you're cautious and you spend the, the quarantine days alone and you're careful when you go to the supermarket you know you don't cough and you only touch the thing that you're actually gonna buy you don't like you know you act cautious but as long as you act cautious and you're not an idiot if everyone acted this way and you clean your hands and you know all the blah 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 then the virus uh, the quarantine would not be necessary and i think that's why some countries uh like in the north especially in scandinavian countries they're they have not enforced in, in sweden i know they have not enforced a lockdown yeah sweden have uh, because they they trust their people they've told them what to do and they trust them to follow the rules and th- there's a few things to be said you know sweden is a country with, i think about seven million population I think something around that. You know, it's it's nothing compared to France, Italy, and UK, which are 70, 70 million each. You're literally one order of magnitude of difference. You cannot manage the countries the same way. The the population density is completely different. The cultures are different. Again, they are more social uh, socialist ethically, so they're more likely to be careful about the others. So they have decided to trust their people, basically. That's why. And as long as people are careful, it's... It should be fine. And yes, no, I, I do agree. There is some hypocrisy in the fact that I, that I left. and But I just accepted, okay, we'll just be very careful. We were already locked down in our house for a few days. So we already had a few days. And then it ended up that we didn't probably didn't carry anything since neither of us had even mild symptoms. We had nothing. So I guess we probably didn't carry it. Are people in France generally like following, following the guidelines and stuff? <sighs> they didn't at the beginning. They did for a fair amount of time in the middle. Then they started like relaxing a bit again. Yeah. But now the president talked again last Monday, like this Monday, five days ago. And he said, come on, guys, let's just survive another month. And we'll start, we'll start getting out of quarantine like slowly from the 11th of May. So I hope people will like go like, okay, well, fine. We have a date, you know, to look at in your mind and to stay. I just need to survive until the 11th of May. And then life can slowly come back to normal do you think that's dangerous though actually saying a date i think i think yeah i think it was yeah uh they did say it would be it would be um controlled like continuous not like just tomorrow everything is back to normal yeah, yeah. and it would be like you know something's still closed uh but something starts reopening the most i mean it's, it's a crisis that we've never humanity uh modern humanity has never dealt with this the last real pandemic of this level was the was the spanish flu it was it was another it was another level in terms of mortality and especially in terms of like medical advancement it's actually i don't know if you know but spanish flu is one of the biggest catalysts to why we develop such good medicine it's kind of like kind of like the space the space race 
for uh, the US URSS fight was about space okay, and yeah. it, it catalyzed aerospatial research and all the engineering and the research that goes with it. Uh, the Spanish flu was basically the same for medical research about bacteria and uh, viruses. And I was gonna say, so you mentioned earlier you're half Italian. Have you got like family in Italy, a lot of friends and stuff uh, like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, both. So I have... My family is in a small city in Belluno, which is actually in the same region as the epicenter. It's a Venetian area. It's called Veneto. And it's in the same region where the first epicenter of Italian pandemia was. Their town ended up not being very badly. They just got a very few cases, so it was fine. So they, you can say they got lucky in that sense. I have some. I have a friend from uh but well from my job from the from the data science job he was also data scientist and he left at the same time as me who is in uh, padova which is the i think the main epicenter after milan but it was the first epicenter and then he came to milan uh in italy and yeah he said i had a chat with him i didn't like a very long chat but he said basically everything closed down over like Two, three days, it, it went from yeah. like a normal city to complete close down. And, you know, it's one of those cities when you have like, uh, you have military trucks, which are, which have to transport dead bodies. Uh, that's, that's how bad it got there. You know, it's, so he was there. He didn't, he didn't get anything himself that he knows of. He's fine. That, that I know of his family is also fine. So again, they got well, lucky or not. They, yeah, they got lucky. Why Italy? Why, why did Italy get hit that's, so bad? That's a very good question. I have Was no Because age, I see a lot of people saying Italy is kind of the median age is a lot higher. Yeah, the median age of Italy is very high and of Spain too, which is probably, which is probably one of the causes why Italy and Spain are badly hit. But then in France, it's also very high. I think it might be slightly lower, but. It might be also that in Fr- in Italy, it's very common to live in the same building as your grandfather, as your whole family. So it's very common for families to have either one building, which is basically theirs, like, you know, uh, one floor is going to be yours, one floor is going to be your parents, and one floor is going to be your grandparents, or to live very close to each other. So to keep a very close family connection, which means the virus very easily gets to the older person, right? It can start anywhere in the family, and it will just reach the older person as well as the as the young one so that might be a catalyst but it's it's very hard to tell honestly at this point yeah one other hypothesis i has was because when obviously china hit it and didn't lock down as fast as maybe they should have um if you were to i guess if they had tested and obviously tracked carriers like you could maybe you could see where they were all traveling for whatever it was like you know new year's and so on and and then you could have seen maybe that it just happened to be like this is all this is just a hypothesis so please don't take this as fact um, um anyone that's listening before i get like yelled at. <laughs> so like it could have been that they were just on the way to like or dropping through like italy's you know like spain france all these places with you know nice touristy areas to meet up with family and so and then just happens to be that the carriers ended up spreading it not knowing they had it this always you know normal cough there could be like so many different things so i was just thinking yeah. If it was tracked, so I don't know if you ever read up on the Singapore thing. So Singapore went on a mad detective hunt near to basically locate anyone who had come in contact with these people and try to prevent, like, basically just tell them to go into quarantine and cut and reduce the spread as fast as possible. So whilst they may not have done the testing way, they actually put the effort in to stop it. Whereas I think countries like, for example, US, UK, even France, Italy, Spain have all acted in a reactive way instead of proactive. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a thing. That they, I absolutely agree. I think there's 
One important aspect of Singapore, which cannot be forgotten, is that Singapore is a very small country. Uh, so that's definitely, it's, it's easier for them to be very proud. It's a very small and rich country. But I still agree that European countries, I mean, most of the West, most of the world really has been too much reactive based. And I mean, when you look at the US, they're not even reactive anymore. They're just like, oh, just let it pass through. <laughs> and you see what it's doing. It's the, 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 I just checked before, they have like more than 30,000 deaths already. And it's just the beginning. There was actually a video of a few, I think two nights ago or something, at the time of recording this, where um, at Westminster Bridge, basically, people went to... I was every, literally about to say that. Yeah, yeah. they were... Except, you know how they're doing the clapping for NHS, etc., at like eight o'clock and the carers? So what they did was they all decided to go... A bunch of people decided to go to the bridge, obviously violating social distancing, and just start clapping there and start taking videos of it. And... Uh, <laughs> just need to get on with it. Yeah. And sooner we go with it, sooner we'll be yeah, done. I think, I think at some point we need to start um, de-quarantining in a, in a safe way. You know, you don't want to just yeah. go, as I said, just, oh, no lockdown anymore. Everyone's free. Just smart. Yeah, smart in our country, I feel that it's not going to go so well here because yeah, they, they haven't actually prepared for it. Like They've been told to prepare for it, but like with everything else that they've been doing so far, it's been too late. They've been acting on it after it happens. So like, um, when they start releasing quarantine, however they do it, I- I'm staying inside. <laughs> I'm staying inside. Yeah. As soon as the first pub reopens, as soon as the first Weatherspoons reopens, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be mayhem. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to do it, but maybe like if they kept like places with any social gatherings cut down, but maybe like they open up like. That's what they're going to do in France that I know of. The, from what I've understood, they plan to uh, start reopening like more more nece- like not necessary in the terms of survival but necessary in terms of everyday life but they'll keep like the more entertaining things closed like cinemas restaurants bars stuff like that so you know maybe you start reopening okay. normal shops which are not like essential but clothes maybe stuff like that. i'm not sure uh even clothes i wouldn't be but anyway they start reopening some shops but not all of them and slowly slowly they yeah. try to manage it I think I think someone from work said just expanding what key worker means. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's that's a good uh, simple explanation for it. Yeah. Yeah. I I have a question. Oh, okay. Yeah, go on. It's it's about you, Aaron. You told me you told me I had to wait for the show, so now I'm going to ask you. What are you doing these days? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, since when I got back from America, yeah, took a bit of a break, similar to your one. Actually, not that similar. I didn't go surfing and. <laughs> Yeah, but well, now I've got a job. I li- I literally kind of like started, and then and then two weeks later ended up with this kind of like lockdown. So it's been a bit of a weird. Um, I can imagine a weird start. It's a really small startup. Like there's four of us uh, oh, right. in the startup. Yeah, but it's 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 been cool. I think every everywhere I've been or everywhere I've worked, every project has been me in the front end and then some other guy on the back end. It's so like even since basically since Rachibo and yeah, even for Chibo. stuff like that. <laughs> Still, to the to this day, that summer, the summer we had where we were working on for Chibo and Endorser, that's been my most productive summer that, that or productive was... period of time I've ever had. Actually, you know, um... Um, for us people who may not, um, you know, for the from the audience's point of view, well, let's start. We have two companies. You said two company names there for Chibo and Endorser. <laughs> go on. <laughs> I'm trying to think if I've mentioned for Chibo in a previous Aaron, one. Pitch for Chibo. But, go um, on. I don't. Juno, Juno, you can. You can have the honor, Ed. Uh, pitch. Um, right, so um, so me and Aaron, we we, bo- we work together on two startups. One is Frisibo, 
which is basically a marketplace for home cooks to deliver to campuses. So it's especially good word for those listeners. You probably have this experience. A fair amount of campuses in the UK are in the middle of nowhere, those that are not in cities, basically. And you have very little choice of food. So basically, our idea was get food. Initially, it was very much about home cooks, like healthy home cooks food. Then we expanded a bit and were sort of like a delivery before delivery, uh, really. Um, yeah. But that was one of the ideas. And I'll let Aaron explain the other one. Yeah, just giving a bit of background on that one. So that was started by two of our friends. Well, not friends at the time. These are yeah, not friends. Uh, started by Vantikar and Ali. I mean, we we didn't know them, and then Ed was actually the one who got me into Fujibo. I remember yeah. you messaged me, me saying, "So they approached you first to like work they on this project, right?" Approached me through a friend in common. I who was it? Or maybe it wasn't even a friend. Maybe it was someone who uh, they just messaged me and told me, yeah, uh, your your name came out when I was talking to someone. So they just sent me a yep. message and we met and they explained the idea and you know, we discussed a bit and such. And so I knew from the moment they, they told me the idea, I knew I couldn't do it alone because I don't have any, any front-end knowledge. And I knew I could learn back-end. I didn't have any back-end knowledge really. But I knew I could learn backend, but I wasn't going to start learning design. Uh, but I knew Aaron, obviously, and I knew Aaron uh, was a good designer. So I, 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 I kind of like invited him. That is getting around. Right <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm t- trying to play it cool. <laughs> no, no one can see. No one can see me looking gas, so it's fine. Damn it. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then I remember Piazza Steps was when I first like spoke to Vance Cornelli and then they pitched yeah. the idea. And then we got on the bus, on the bus, uh, back to Lem, and then we were just like, "Yeah, so what do you think?" I was, I think I remember being like, "If you want to do it, I'll do it." I'll do it. <laughs> that, that, that. Best way to start a startup. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure, And then I guess the other, the other um, startup endorser was one started by Chris, and this was kind of the opposite way around, where he approached me first. Um, I didn't know him at the time, and then I knew this was a project that I could do. I had the front end skills, but I needed someone to do the back end stuff. So I messaged Ed and said. Hey, there's this other startup idea. Do you want to like see how that goes? Um, and that was an idea, kind of. It was like a social media influencer marketplace where anyone could approach a social media influencer and ask them to promote something, mm. and then pay the influencer to promote it. And it was kind of flexible. Like yeah. it didn't matter how many followers you, you had; you could image, be on the platform. Yeah. Uh, any, yeah. any number and of four. I, th- I think there might actually be platforms which have now done the idea. I mean, I don't know if anyone. It's a good has idea. Kind of done the it's, one. Honestly, it yeah. it still is. Like when to be I fair, both it. both both ideas. I've I've been to like a load of interviews like for a job and told them about these ideas and they're like, oh shit, that's that's, that's a like a really idea. good idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I think both how I've told people like we were all. I stayed on to do a master's. You did as well. Avantika and Ali both left university. Mm. Um, and we were just kind of, it just kind of fizzled out, like trying to balance it all with university yeah. work, I think, really. For Chiba, though, we launched for a period of time for like a term, which is quite fun. I think I, both of those, like working on both of those things, like the tech we were using now, looking back on it, it was dead. Like, so Rumor has it, Ed used PHP. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't even use a framework. I coded every fucking thing from, from ground up. 
<laughs> yeah, we, we just use we use pure HTML, CSS, jQuery, even. And, um, Man, we yeah, were so bad. We were but... so, like we're one decade late, basically, in terms of the tech being yeah. used. Uh... But it arguably is even more impressive that we had like yeah. functioning a functioning product, especially in terms of like Pachiba. But yeah, I remember I was saying like as I said earlier, there was a summer where we were working on Pachiba and Endorser. I remember just getting out of bed every morning, going to my computer. I don't even know what we use Slack at the time and just, yeah, it was just every day for like a summer. I actually, that was such a good summer, like work-wise. It was good, man. It was good. I, I, I have very fond memory of uh, of that period. And in fact, the as the same, the same as you, I've never been as productive as that summer, except basically very recently, like these last few weeks. Yeah, where, yeah. I mean, the same, it's the same kind of thing. Like wake up, work, go to bed. And just do the the minimal requirement in the middle, and constantly thinking about it, and constantly thinking how to to improve. So it's I think that's that's one of the magic things about uh, building something from the ground up is that you really lose yourself in it. it just becomes yeah. It's it's really a I think it's a, it's a very nice feeling. It can seem it can seem weird, but I think it's a very nice feeling. It's like meditative in a in, in a way. You just do that. And, just do that and do just have a bit of sport outside and whatever is, is needed not to go completely crazy. But yeah, overall, I think, I think all those projects, like the amount of experience gave me and the amount of things I can like look on my portfolio and like LinkedIn yeah. or whatever and show it's, it's probably helped me get all of my kind of jobs I've had so far. So can't, can't fault it. True that. What about you, Hamish? What are you, what are you doing these days? Actually, I actually work within data science. So luckily I know all the shenanigans that you were talking about. <laughs> but I work on the platform side. So I kind of enable people to do the, you know, the machine learning analysis, mm-hmm. the data engineering. I, I like kind of enable that kind of stuff. So yeah, I just let them spin up some, you know, for example, uh, Hadoop cluster, you know, with Spark and so on. I also right. help with somehow um, with the number of employees the place has. I've somehow I'm the most reliable person to do data copies, which is a quite a shock because I had no expertise. <laughs> <in that. laughs> so basically, uh, the data lake, even though I'm not part of their team, basically <laughs> I kind of copy that, ensure the data is being like the key data at least is being copied appropriately. And some of the solutions, so one of the solutions is actually one of my coded solutions that runs on it. Same with it when it gets copied to our platform. Obviously, we're migrating to cloud and that stuff, so helps a lot. Learn a bit, quite a bit about you know data science and making sure things work like on a massive amount of stack from Hadoop to. It's a good experience. Mark, yeah, so it's it's quite that. Obviously, there's no one job in the future probably that will use all those skills. So I'll I'll always be looking for a subset of skills if anything. But right now is a good time because because of the COVID nineteen, I can tell a lot of data scientists aren't doing the work. So that's basically blown up a lot of the heat you know when i'd have to come in to step in to help support right. um so i can finally start doing some proper like i guess official cloud training instead of um the bookie work i was doing before that. yeah i feel you man i feel you so, yeah yeah that's basically what i've been up to one question i had for you ed how yeah. did you get into tech and coding in the first place i think i know this but i, I remember first year of university you actually helped me out quite a bit with <laughs> java and that you didn't even do computer science yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, it all started as a young twelve or thirteen years old. I I still don't remember, and I don't have any proof, any evidence to say which one it was. But I was very young. That's that's the point. And I wanted to make uh, video games. You know, I was I liked video games. I like playing them. And I was like, you know, what if I make one? 
just out of sheer curiosity. I was already somewhat interested in computers and, and stuff, but then I said, all right, all right, what do... I think video games is kind of how, or I feel like how most computer scientists really, that's their first interest, like video games, and then yeah, it if, kind of gets them into it. If you read, if like follow, you know, YouTubers like computer final stuff or, um, or other people in that sector, often, especially the older ones, the ones that are like 50, 60 and stuff, they'll tell you that they started coding because they wanted to recreate games and that apparently games you would get written down in magazines. They would give you the basic, ba- uh, no, not even basic, some language to code the game. And they would have pages of code and you just had to copy, right? And you had the game. Okay. You would make like a, a ping pong or like a space invader or something like this. Yeah, and yeah. a lot of people start out this way. But I think it's something when you're a kid, you're interested. And if you just push that curiosity a bit more and you go like, could I modify that? or could even just create it completely, then it's very easy to just fall in, in learning to program. And what I did was really silly. I I, uh, I typed computer programming languages, something like that. Uh, I came with a list of, you know, most known computer languages. So I do not remember, but there was probably C, C++, Java, maybe even Python. I don't know if it would have been there at the time. The point is that it was, I still remember that, it was ranked from low level to high level. Now, poor innocent me at 12, 13 <laughs> believes that low level means easy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you, that's how you're going to see at 12. If you're not a, a, a masochist, there is no reason to do C before like you got the other languages. And that's why I went to C. I'm not even kidding. This is the full story. And, you know, follow the tutorial very hard. I jumped out, if you want, a few times and came back. You know, I would do like months where I wouldn't touch anymore because it was too hard. Then I would come back. Because um, in C, you really have to very early on start working with pointers. They're like so essential to C code. And they're quite confusing. They can, especially for a young mind, they can get quite confusing. So I remember very, very often I would drop back and out of it. But at the end, uh, I, I started I made it, I made it through, and I coded my first very simple game, like platform game, uh, which used SDL. I guess you might know it or not. Simple Direct Layer, I think it's it's the full name. It's like a very, very old and used at the time uh, backend for image graphics. So yeah, it was using SDL, and then I started using it in my physics classes. Like I would basically implement the formulas. And I remember I did my, my brother's second year programming assignment i'm the one who did it because he didn't know how to program for <laughs> shit and at the time i was like 16 or 17 so i just did it for him uh i got my first i, I got i got a Wait, first you did his university. university project yeah yeah he oh, like he, he explained to me the formula he basically wrote like the formula part but the whole mm. actual process of simulating and using the formula to like get the data you know iteratively it was a, a something called the free body system it's basically the way planets turn around each other, right? It's just basically you put masses and stuff and velocities and you'll start getting a simulation of planets spinning around each other. And that was the thing. And, you know, once you have the formulas, you need to make all the data that's going to be calculated and each time iterate to get the new position. And yeah, that that, that, that I did. And it just moved on like that. So that's why when I got that's to actually you... actually very complicated as well, just so people know, like, I don't oh, yeah. think I could do that now quite <laughs> easily. <laughs> no, no, don't, 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 uh, don't insult. No, it's the, 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 the formulas are very complicated, but once you have the formulas, 
okay. implementing it is it's not easy, but it's it's fine. It's it's a second year module, you know, it's a second year physics module. Yeah, no, it was it was good. It was good, and that's how I got into programming. But then from there on, it evolved, and uh, now now when I read the code that I'm writing for the startup, I I like when I when I see the code, it's I, I think you know there's something that you get from just years of experience that you don't get if you just do like one year full time like crazy. You just don't get the same understanding, I think, of the language and the elegance. You know, you get so much information bricks throughout just pure time and like your your mind processing and processing and processing so when i see my code it's it's nice i like it i look at, i look at code online and i'm like yeah i think it's it's pretty good level oh you uh, know what's mad idea um the other day uh, this is my proudest moment on github yeah i've actually found a well i found one bug but i didn't know it was a bug and then it led to me finding a second bug so on this thing called like sql alchemy so like a database wrapper for you know python Bro, I found two bugs on it related to Postgres, um, array of enums. I'm Vance Gasti. I'm having a GitHub conversation with, I guess, two of the developers. I need to you know, just um, help them out further. And yeah, now my code that I provided them, if you switch one thing, basically, you can end up create another error out of it as well. So that's one of my proudest moments. Yeah, I, I'm out here. I'm out here. Finding, finding bugs in open source software is... Uh, I, 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 I didn't mean to do it by all means, trust me. Like, it wasn't part of that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was being... You just end up on yeah. it, you know? <laughs> For like one week, I thought I was being stupid. Like, I was like, nah, surely it, it has to work, right? It must mean that I can't use a, you know... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that, that was one of that. But you know, one thing I also knew at university, and so when we were doing our master, I thought, because we were doing the postgrad ones, we shared a few models, like modules like natural language processing, data science, and so on. So I just remember that most of our year were just, I swear, just thick. Like, and the, at least the there weren't many people that we could speak to. So I remember when you did shared some of these modules like natural language processing, I was like, thank you. And Ed's, Ed's doing this so he understands. Like, if I do <laughs> he'll get it. And I think, yeah, you were also one of the people, though I think I told you this one because I don't think, you were one of the people that weren't pickling your, when you trained your model, um, instead yeah. of, when you were testing your model, you hadn't pickled dumped your model. So I think you were training it every single time you ran it. I was like, Ed, just fucking pickle it and dump it. So yeah, I didn't know that people are. Uh, that was, that yeah. was like my, oh, I was so happy. Um, so for that's technical people, if you're still listening, um, basically pickle it. <laughs> if you're still listening. <laughs> it, it, it's just a Python package, which kind of lets you dump your current state of certain things like that you write in your code. And when you've been training your model for hours, like, to do something so like you know let's say process text in a certain way it saves you <laughs> exaggerating a bit i remember Wait, what it was no i i remember some people that were training it for hours because they had nested for loops and they didn't like make it efficient you know how we like to use like all one methods yeah, and so on yeah set on that no, no one else was doing it and i was just like right come on surely someone here has to know that if you use a set you're going to save your efficiency because I'm not right. I'm not sitting here in the DCS for one hour waiting for this to train, and or that I'd rather just dump it and then we'll come back to you know testing it later on. <laughs> like, Some of the pre-processing was it was taking like one two minutes. I was like, oh yeah, you have to wait. And then I just told me, why don't you pickle it? I'm like, the fuck does that mean? Why do you pickle it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, what happens is when I'm like when when I'm just thinking in like code, I just keep saying it in code. Like I'm like just pickle it. And wait, I realize it doesn't make sense. But then when I show you people, I'm like, I'm like oh shit. That's, that's I mean, it, it makes sense once you know what pickle yeah. is. Yeah, I have no idea what 
please. And he's just gonna pickle it. And to me, I think like a pickle. I'm like, why are you? What the fuck? Do you mean? Yeah, that's his exact reaction in person. Oh, what the fuck are you? <laughs> that's also going to be the reaction from most of our listeners. Yeah, I think it's time we uh, start wrapping up the episode. Each episode ends with three questions, a call out and then a shout out. So I guess we'll go for the first question. And that is, who is a dream guest that you would spend lockdown with? So obviously, I'm going to first answer my girlfriend so she doesn't kill me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm editing that out just so she kills you. (laughs) No, um, I think... Uh, the the same question, I think it's kind of the same question as uh, who would you like to have a dinner with? Maybe a dinner is, is a bit short. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the same thing, but we just kind of yeah, adapted it for lockdown. Quarantine, yeah, it would be Feynman, uh, Richard Feynman. Uh, I don't know if you if you know him. He is. How do you uh, spell it? Uh, Feynman. So it's F E Y N M A N. Like Fein Feynman. Yeah, yeah, I see it. And he was, in my opinion, one of the last, what, I, what I've been called in the past, universal geniuses. Uh, so universal genius is not someone who is not... Did you say what you've been called in the past? No, no, what, what people like him. Like, <laughs> it's a name okay. which, <laughs> I've not been called a universal genius. No, no, no. No, like, you know, uh, a famous one is Le- uh, Leonardo da Vinci. And a universal genius is basically someone who has reached very high levels in several well who has reached expert level in several fields several unrelated fields uh, even more so so da vinci for instance was an insane painter anatomy physicist slash engineer he he was basically touching everything and everything he touched he made into gold so that's why he's known as a as a universal genius but Feynman was he's an incredible person he's incredible incredibly humbling he was this just basically a kid who was extremely curious and who developed an insane curiosity for everything he looked. He was repairing radios when he was eight just because he opened them and looked how they worked and find out like what the pieces were broken and he just grew up to become... He touched everything, went to chemistry. He worked with like, I remember he was like the main chemist in a lab in New York, but then he ended up going further down the physics path. Uh, obviously, well, getting a PhD as as you would. Worked on the Manhattan Project, so uh, building the bomb, but before that, especially studying studying particle physics at that insane level. And even just to get into the Manhattan Project, you already had to be quite quite insane but everything about him is like he just decided to that he wanted to to learn to paint and he became very very good like good enough that people would buy painting from him and stuff he just decided at some point to like go to to brazil and when he went to brazil he learned the padeleira which is like a a, a little drum and he ended up performing on you know the very famous um carnival in brazil uh, i think it's in sao paulo i guess but i'm not sure uh, just ended up performing you know he was the only non-brazilian guy in the whole whole uh performance people because and yeah, he just, he just, and he's an incredible, like, explaining. So he's, he's pretty sure he's a Nobel Prize. I'm not entirely sure. Don't quote me on that. But in any, any case, yeah, yeah, I think he does. He does. Yeah, for a Feynman diagram. He's changed, like, he's made insane amounts of, of work in physics. He was extremely uh, good also in, in engineering, in computer science. He helped build one of the first computers, like, 
he was working on on one of the first computers and they had to repair it and it was part of even that though that's not maybe genius level that's still like just insane his whole life is just insane and i think there's this book which i would honestly recommend to anyone if you want to fall in love with this man it's called surely you're joking mr feynman uh, that's the name and, yeah yeah I can, I can find see it in the here. description guys yeah. um. <laughs> find it in the description that, that's my favorite book of all time and it's a book you can just reread every time it's sort of like a biography but it's not really a biography because it's him talking and it's just about random stories of his life the guy even lockpicked he just decided to lockpick because he was born they were stuck during a, a snowstorm in the mountains and they had like a you know uh, there's a there's a how do you call them the big uh, big things you can put stuff in and put a code as in like oh safe a safe a safe yeah just a safe exactly yeah and i learned to sort of like trick the safe and found and would just tell his colleagues to go and change the password and he would find it out in less than 15 minutes sometimes even in just a few like 30 seconds because he had all this he's just an amazing person he's just so funny to read and so inspiring and so interesting so uh, yeah no it sounds Feynman, like it Feynman would have to be the guy the second question is what is your chosen meal for the rest of lockdown this could be a three-course meal if you'd like as well Okay, um, pizza, uh, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Uh, no, no questions asked. I, I can't guess. tell if there's sarcasm here and he's messing with everyone because he's Italian or like. No, I'm not even. I'm not even kidding. Like, okay. just, <laughs> best meal is the best meal. Uh, I, I'm definitely gonna go with pizza. What's on your pizza? But out of curiosity, what is on it? I guess if if I have to pick like one that I have to eat for the whole lockdown, it would have to be a margarita. But if I can switch. I'd go like, you know, sometimes the calzone is nice. Sometimes the one with like a uh, hot um, salami, spicy pepperoni. I mean, pepperoni is very bad. Those, yeah, it would have to be between those. There's also the anchovies one, which can be very good. And obviously at least one white, white pizza. So uh, those are, there's no uh, tomato sauce. It's just cheese. And they're amazing also. And one thing I was going to ask you, pineapples on pizza, yes or no? Off. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Aaron. Hey, hey, allow it, allow it, allow it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> allow it. <laughs> oh, Alright, fair enough. I guess I think I think pizza's a solid choice as well, to be fair. Safe. I did that uni. That was that was basically fourth year. Yeah. <laughs> fourth year I was living on Tesco Pizza, so Okay, and then the third question, this is one we ask every guest, and that is what has been your most memorable third wheeling experience? And we're not talking about this podcast. Um, so I think it was the one from uh, last week. I think I can remember. I think it was called Andy. Was it Andy? Uh, and it was just very, very interesting to his experience in Wuhan to see from, in a way, a Western opinion of being right at the epicenter and what he saw and what he was uh, seeing and you know how how it was telling that the government was reacting. Uh, the, I thought the, the whole that that part of that section was was very interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, sorry the language barrier got in the way we went like when you see there's a couple and you're the third person or you're a couple and there's a third person with you <laughs> um, we, we, we mean not on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> the, the language barrier is too much no no I just okay yeah um, my bad of course context context got me um, right. what did you think the third wheeling was like <laughs> No, I, I know what third wheel uh, is. I just thought you meant like uh, of this podcast, not of this episode, of previous episodes of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, right, the the best third wheel. I mean, we don't, we don't. Wheel. We're not begging for that ego rub just yet. Yeah. <laughs> no, 
not just them. Uh, maybe in 50 uh, episodes. Very that was very interesting. Interesting. Uh, interesting to to listen to. Uh, right. Uh, wait, big up the episode if you haven't listened to it. Anyway. Wait, 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 wait. I'm sure I have one with Aaron. I feel like I have one with Aaron. Aaron, do you have one with you? Well, well I've. <laughs> there might oh, be an occasion, oh, oh, but oh, I might have third. I have a good one. I have a good one. It's 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 not exactly third wheeling, but I think it's it's close enough, and we can call it. We can say. So it was a third year of of uni. <laughs> And so, as I said, like me and Aaron were in the same corridor, and one night I come back. Okay, fairly tipsy. Wait, first year of uni? No, first year. Sorry, uh, I came back. I I think I was either like you know when you get so tired that you go a bit crazy, a bit euphoric, or tipsy, one or the other, or maybe it was a mix. Who knows? Anyway, I came back, and one of my flatmates <laughs> was uh, moaning very loudly. So I just was having a laugh, and I was like, oh. Let's get Aaron. So I just went to Aaron's, Aaron's room. I just knocked out like, hey, Aaron. And he was working on his computer and looks at me. And again, with his little, like, innocent kid's face. And I go like, Aaron, come with me, come with me. And we're just waiting. He's like, what the fuck? Are you, what is going on? Just just follow, just follow. And, we get and I just go like, you see a room? Yeah. Just go in front of it. He's like, what, what the fuck? And like, Aaron is so confused at this point. I'm just going like, just go, just go. And he starts walking. And as he's walking, he doesn't even get to the door because the moans were so loud. He just like kind of like starts slowing down and turns around and looks at me. And I'm just like trying not to piss myself laughing, just holding my breath out. And then we just had a bit of a, of a laugh. And like, So it wasn't exactly third wedding, but I guess it's close enough. We third will my flatmate. Man, how times have changed, Ed, because now he doesn't trust any of us enough to do something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 i'm not following any of you guys now no yeah i, I actually i actually remember that so distinctively <laughs> as well <laughs> uh, that's so funny. the next bit is a call out or a nomination for one person or many people you'd like to see come on the third wheel next whether it's remote or one day in person who knows you know one day we'll be classed as essential workers um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it would be fun if you got like uh, Bill Gates in. Can you do oh, that? Oh yeah, that, that that that'd be great. <laughs> no, actually, <laughs> Andrea, Andrea from Warwick. Uh, okay. I think Aaron met met him a few times. Yeah, yeah. I think it would be it would be a fun a fun one to to uh, to inter- to chat with. And I mean, he's in quarantine in Italy, so I don't think he's uh, he's doing a whole a whole lot. So he's got time to talk. <laughs> okay, yeah, that'd be interesting. We'll uh, reach out to him on whatever social media he might have and then the last one is a shout out so this is you can basically shout out if you're working on something or a project or yeah basically anything a person if you want so yeah hamish you got anything yeah so i have two things um as the original episode 30 got fucked um i have to re-shout this out and i'm going to be slightly behind on timelines <laughs> for my shout outs but i'm gonna have to merge some more into this so the first one is going to be an album called the rated legend by cadet um and he passed away some time back. Um, it's a banging album. Go listen to it. The next one's going to be Black the Ripper. Rest in peace. He didn't die to COVID-19. But yeah, he passed away and he made some banging music. People may know him as the guy that was smoking weed on the London Eye. If people need to know a reference. <laughs> and yeah, that, that's it for me. Uh, I'm going to shout out my website. Go check that out. I am currently, at the time of recording, I'm rewriting it. Mm-hmm. Not like really redesigning it, but I'm rewriting it. Adding some more features to it. So yeah, hopefully it will be done by time this is out so yeah go check that out aaronconway.co.uk 
Ed, anything? Yeah, well, I guess the book that I said before. So uh, that's, that's a good shout out uh, for, for the book to, to everyone to go read it. And I guess the other one would be poor John Conway, uh, a very nice mathematician who died a few days ago from COVID. Okay, uh, yeah, and it was heard about that. Well, a very famous John Conway is very famous for the game of life, uh, but he actually did a lot of, and cellular automatons in general, but he actually did a lot more cool stuff. So it's a bit sad to you. And it was very nice, like as a person, you know, as just a, a good human, a good human who was also a mathematician. So shout out to him too. Yeah. And that, that, that brings us to the end of the episode. So hope, uh, thank you, Ed, for coming on, first of all. Thank you for inviting me and for this great uh, yeah, pleasure. Great. Yeah, and then I hope everyone's enjoyed the episode. Hopefully, this episode is recorded fine as well. We uh, <laughs> we we fucked up the episode that was supposed to be <laughs> happening now. Um, so uh, yeah, hopefully this is all good and sounds, and you've got an episode you're listening to. Um, but yeah, thanks for all for listening, and we'll speak to you next week. Bye.